This week's Fierce Telecom podcast is brought to you by our friends at Ericsson. Network operators today need to balance consumer demand for faster speeds and constant connectivity with global sustainability goals. Taking a unique network level approach is the key to achieving that balance, enabling rapid build out of 5G networks without a spike in energy. As a leading information communications technology solutions company, Ericsson is committed to making this a reality with innovative solutions. You can learn more at ericsson.com. All right, welcome everyone to the Fierce Telecom Podcast. I'm Pinedo, and this is our very first podcast episode, the inaugural Fierce Telecom episode. So welcome and thanks for joining us. Now, this will be a weekly podcast. We're going to be speaking to the entire telecommunications ecosystem. We have a lot of exclusive interviews and content coming your way. So we hope that you find this interesting and worthwhile. And as always, we welcome your thoughts and feedback as we go through this little adventure of putting this together for all of you out there. Now, the way it'll work is I'll be uh, chatting to some of the leading voices in our industry. We have a lot of exciting interviews lined up throughout the next few weeks. And we'll also be using some of our virtual event content. Some of you might be familiar with those. We hold them every month uh, around different subject areas and topics. And we'll be using some of those key interviews and presentations and bringing them to you on this format as well. Well, for today's episode, we're going to be doing just that. We're going to be taking a trip back a few weeks to our Wi-Fi Summit, which we held in February of this year. And we heard from some of uh, the executives from the likes of FCC, Verizon, and more, talking all aspects Wi-Fi and its importance for connectivity. Well, we're going to start today with an interview that our very own editor-in-chief, Linda Hardesty, had with SEC Commissioner Jeffrey Starks. They spoke about Wi-Fi upgrade, chip shortages, Wi-Fi 6C, and well, a lot more. So have a listen, and we'll be back in just a little bit for more. Hello, Commissioner Starks, and thank you so much for being here today. Great, uh, great to join you, Linda, and uh, hello to everyone out there. All right. So um, we're having our Wi-Fi summit this week, and um, I'd like to start by talking a little bit about the six gigahertz spectrum. Um, so the FCC decided to open 1200 megahertz of six gigahertz spectrum for unlicensed use. And the D.C. Circuit Court of Appeals recently ruled in favor of the FCC in terms of some power limits for the spectrum. Um, so I would like you to just give um, the audience a status update on the actual usage of this spectrum right now. Great. Uh, totally. Uh, again, thanks for everyone uh, joining and watching. And to start with kind of the overall picture, uh, you know, Wi-Fi and other unlicensed technologies are absolutely mission critical to our economy. And so the number of devices uh, in 2022, nearly 18 billion Wi-Fi devices will be in use uh, around the world globally. More than 4.4 billion devices will ship this year. And for the U.S. in particular alone, uh, even before the six gigahertz uh, decision, um, you know, Wi-Fi has been estimated to really kind of contribute nearly 1.4 trillion in uh, in and to our economy. So with, you know, six gigahertz Wi-Fi 
is really getting its biggest upgrade in nearly 20 years. Uh, and so what I'm really excited about is that the six gigahertz decision will, will further really accelerate the growth of Wi-Fi's contribution to our economy. Wi-Fi 6E will reduce congestion in the unlicensed bands, allow people uh, to realize the full benefits of their home broadband connections in terms of increased speed, more connected devices reduced latently. And so, you know, to your question in particular, where are we on the rollout? Uh, you know, according to the experts, more than 350 million Wi-Fi 6E devices uh, will enter the market this year. That means more routers, access points, and people really need to kind of, you know, get Wi-Fi 6E capable routers uh, in order to use the band. These devices are now available. And so phones, many manufacturers from Samsung to Apple have already already uh, introduced or planned to introduce Wi-Fi 6E. Uh, and then, of course, um, you know, six gigahertz capable PCs, laptops, uh, televisions for streaming. So we're expecting to see a lot uh, of those types of technologies. Here's the one thing that I'll finish with uh, that gives me a little bit of pause uh, and something that uh, that a lot of us are closely monitoring, you know, is the Wi-Fi chip uh, shortage. We do have a worldwide uh, supply chain issue with silicon chips. Wi-Fi 6E is getting pretty, hit pretty hard um, for that. Making a chip turns out is one of the most intensive manufacturing processes. It can take uh, quite some time up to many months, um, uh, you know, for uh, from the time a customer places an order to receiving the final product. So that's something that I'm gonna be monitoring here uh, as well. Oh, wow. Yeah. Chips rule the world, don't they? And yeah. <laughs> I hadn't realized that there was an issue with Wi-Fi chips. Um, but we are hoping, though, that people will really start using um, the six gigahertz spectrum for Wi-Fi this year. Yes. Um, all right. So the next thing I wanted to touch on is automated frequency coordination, AFC. Um, as part of the FCC's order to open the six gigahertz band, um, the agency also called for this um, AFC system to manage the spectrum and to prevent uh, interference. So what's the status of this? Um, I know there were about 14 applicants um, last fall um, who applied to be AFC coordinators. Yeah, great, great question. Uh, you know, the automated frequency coordinator AFC uh, is absolutely important because, you know, as you mentioned, under the six gigahertz rules, uh, you know, full power and or outdoor devices must check uh, with an AFC before they can use the band. Uh, and so the FCC does need to approve those applications for AFCs to operate first. So outdoor full power use, you know, this will, of course, allow use of the six gigahertz hertz band for point to multi-point operations, uh, you know, by broadband providers, in particular wireless internet service providers, WISPs, uh, you know, which could increase competition, of course, and service in underserved and unserved areas. Um, uh, indoor full power use right now, indoor Wi-Fi devices that use the six gigahertz band can really only operate it at one fourth the power that applies to other unlicensed band. And so the AFC, the AFC will allow indoor operations at full Wi-Fi power. So end users can realize the full power, uh, full value of the six gigahertz spectrum. So where we are in terms of process is, you know, our engineering uh, division OET is reviewing, like you said, the 
the, the AFC operator applications. Uh, I will say I'm optimistic that we'll see these preliminary approvals soon. And then that means we'll move after those preliminary approvals. The next step will be on to testing. Uh, and so, you know, we'll need to decide whether testing is done by by our engineers uh, in-house, which has, of course, an outstanding reputation. Um, but but uh, like many government resources is, is resource constrained or whether that testing will be done by um, other folks, private entities, which may require uh, more discussion, uh, but but ultimately could be a faster way to go. And then from there, we'll move on to the final approvals after testing. Uh, and that will come, you know, the final AFC operator approvals. And it's important, you know, that we get these preliminary approvals so that we can get rolling, um, um, you know, as you mentioned before the end of 2022 to get operations up and rolling so we can really realize the full value of, of um, this six gigahertz decision. Okay. <clears throat> and um, let me see, you talked about indoor use and outdoor use. Do you think that um, AFC is equally important for both or more so for one than the other? Yeah, you know, I wouldn't I wouldn't put uh, I wouldn't weigh one versus the other. Of course, you know, Wi-Fi is critically important. Uh, it's powering households. Um, uh, and, and so, you know, it really kind of depends on, on the use of the user. OK. Um, all right. And um, so I know that uh, closing the digital divide is, a, is an important topic for you. Mm -hmm. uh, do you see a connection between um, all the activity that's going on with Wi-Fi and closing the digital divide? Yeah, uh, an, another uh, great question, you know, taking two steps back, uh, you know, COVID has obviously really increased uh, reliance on home broadband. Uh, and that necessarily, you know, means Wi-Fi as well. The pandemic truly has driven home the importance of home broadband connections. You know, for for, you know, many years now, people have been working, uh, learning, connecting from home, connecting with loved ones. And, and Wi-Fi truly is the main way that people share broadband connections across their home, uh, allowing many members of, of a family or a household, you know, to access the Internet from their own device faster. Wi-Fi allows even people with slower broadband plans to make the most of their connections to the home. You know, low income uh, folks are something that we are hyper focused on at the FCC. Obviously, um, uh, our new affordability program uh, is is absolutely critical. The pandemic has drawn attention, of course, as well to the number of people who rely on public, uh, you know, shared Wi-Fi connections in their neighborhood, at their library, at the restaurant, their local coffee shop. You know, I remember back in 2019 uh, when I visited a number of um, um, homeless shelters, the Larkin Street uh, Youth Services Center in San Francisco in particular, hearing from homeless teens that were there about how they relied on the facility's Wi-Fi, you know, to, to stay connected truly. And so six gigahertz, the, the impact on the digital divide is very clear. The, the 1200 megahertz of Wi-Fi spectrum will reduce congestion, increase speeds, increase the number of devices that can stream at the same time. 
you know, and, and so to, 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 to speak plainly, Wi-Fi 60 equi- equipment is pricey right now. The prices will come down um, uh, as expected. And so the impact even on people who can't afford those Wi-Fi 60 routers, computers, you know, their speed should increase as existing Wi-Fi traffic moves on to the new spectrum. So low income consumers that are purchasing broadband plans, you know, even through the affordable connectivity program, the ACP that uh, the FCC. CC is, is moving quickly on. They should realize the full benefits of their subscription. Wi-Fi channels within their homes will become less con- congested. Data will flow more freely. And so I, I really am hopeful as well that many uh, broadband providers, retailers, restaurants, uh, and others that offer that free public Wi-Fi access uh, will, will also increase um, as well. Yeah, that's a good point about um offloading um, some traffic to Wi-Fi um, 6. So um, standards are already being developed for Wi-Fi 7. Um, do you have any thoughts as to what we can expect in the years ahead from, from Wi-Fi 7? Yeah, Wi-Fi 7, uh, of course, is the next generation uh, of Wi-Fi. It's, it's currently being, uh, as you mentioned, discussed by uh, standard setting bodies. Uh, we hope, um, you know, that it will be finalized um, 2024. Uh, so please do stay tuned. It will be, it will be faster. Um, you know, Wi-Fi 7 is expected to support up to, you know, 30 gigabits throughput, uh, roughly three times faster than, than Wi-Fi 6. You know, it will um, support more connected devices um, with, with, you know, up to 16 spatial streams. It'll be a big step forward uh, from the, the, the 12 streams offered on the best routers. And of course, it will reduce latency. And that's going to be absolutely critical for, for folks who are dreaming up what virtual reality, augmented reality, and some of those kind of gaming-based um, uh, applications are going to be. Uh, and so, you know, what is the FCC's role here um, mm-hmm. in, in the next generation? You know, a couple thoughts there. The commission has, you know, a critical role in facilitating technological innovation. Uh, we not only make spectrum like the six gigahertz band available, but also, you know, set the rules for equipment, uh, prevent harmful interference. You know, back to something that you mentioned before, of course, the recent D.C. Circuit decision uh, in the six gigahertz case affirms truly uh, our authority as the expert agency. Uh, and so the court held that the FCC's judgment when it comes to spectrum issues really is entitled to substantial deference. The courts aren't going to second guess our judgment, uh, in particular, when it comes to technical issues. And so the goal here really is uh, to continue to encourage innovation while establishing those rules that protect, uh, of course, the public interest. And that means protecting, as I mentioned, harmful interference against harmful interference. Uh, protecting public safety, uh, encouraging competition, and and back to digital divide. You know, making sure that there's access truly for for all Americans. Great, thank you, Linda, and of course FCC Commissioner Jeffrey Stark speaking there at our Wi-Fi summit held back in February. Well, to give a perspective from the industry at the same event, uh, we had Josh Goodell, Vice President of Broadband Technology Management at AT&T, 
join our very own senior editor, Diana Gouverts, to speak about fiber and its role in delivering robust Wi-Fi networks, bandwidth expansion, how demand is growing, and what that customer experience should look like when looking at Wi-Fi. So let's listen to that interview between Diana and Josh, and we'll be back in just a little bit to wrap the whole episode up. Thank you so much to our audience for joining us today at the Fierce Wi-Fi Summit. I am so looking forward to this keynote conversation that we're about to have. We are here with Josh Goodell, who is VP of Broadband Technology Management at AT&T. Thank you so much for joining us, Josh. Diana, it's uh, really exciting to join you. Looking forward to the conversation. Me too. Uh, so since we've only got 20 minutes, let's go ahead and jump right in. Um, one of the things we've heard AT&T CEO John Stanky talk about recently is offering bundles which provide customers with ubiquitous connectivity through a combination of wireless and fiber technology. Um, he's kind of basically said that the customers don't want to think about where the connectivity is coming from. They just want it to be there. Uh, so can you talk a little bit about how Wi-Fi plays into that vision that he's kind of articulated? Yeah, absolutely. So when, when we talk about and think about ubiquitous connectivity, it really means delivering fast, reliable, secure connectivity to our customers, whether they're at home, at work, or on the go. And for AT&T, connectivity really starts with fiber and it starts with 5G. Um, and so when you think about the combination of those two assets, it's really where AT&T is today and it's our sweet spot. But here's the thing though, if you think about a fiber customer or even a 5G mobility customer, both customers have a large part of their experience defined by what's happening over Wi-Fi. That includes web browsing, it includes videos, gaming, even calling. Their last hop in many cases is a Wi-Fi connection. So it's really important as we think about this ubiquitous connectivity to not forget the importance of that last hop. Another way I like to look at this is if you think about layers of a solution, I think the foundational layer is fiber. Um, and if you think about any access technology, whether it's mobility or a, a hardwired access technology, the traffic always ends up underground. That's why fiber is so critical and it's at that foundational layer for us. It's the fastest, most efficient way to move traffic, period. It also, for us, provides a symmetrical speeds both on the uplink and the downlink. And given our position as the largest fiber network in the nation, it's a really, really strong foundation. And then if you think about one layer above that, I think of, you know, amazing Wi-Fi needing to be that next layer up. And this is critical because our customers on average are connecting eight out of 10 devices over Wi-Fi. You know, there are some other elements to the trends that we're seeing that reinforces the importance of Wi-Fi. One example is continued consumption increases of bandwidth. We expect over the next five years that consumption will, will grow by probably 5x, if, if not more than that. We're talking four to five terabytes of data 
data being consumed by the average customer. During the same time, the number of connected devices are going to increase anywhere from 80 to 90%. And for this reason, that consistently awesome Wi-Fi experience in the home or in the business is absolutely critical. And so what I like to think about is delivering really robust capabilities within the four walls of our customers' homes and businesses, whether that's really um, you know, robust equipment, whether it's the ability to extend coverage wall to wall, whether it's an intuitive, easy um, application to manage all of it. And then the kind of the final layer that I think is really important, and it's one that our customers are talking a lot about, is security. And again, having ubiquitous security, whether you're at home, at work, and on the go, is super important because what our customers are finding is that um, they don't want to care about whether or not they're behind a router or a gateway in, on the fiber network or out, you know, uh, on the go on our 5G network. It doesn't really matter to them. They want a secure position and, and a, a secure a secure capability regardless of where they are. We call that active armor. It's something that we talk a lot about and um, it's super important. So fiber is the foundation, really robust Wi-Fi on top of that, and then a consistently secure connection, whether you're in the home or on the go, is really what we're what we're thinking about. So you've kind of uh, already gotten to a couple elements of my next question, which is, you know, what kind of features make for a good Wi-Fi experience? You kind of touched on that element already. What's the primary pain point for customers today? Like what are what are the biggest issues in terms of Wi-Fi connectivity? Yeah. So when we, we think about this, we, we really start our solutions by understanding what are the satisfaction drivers for a customer. And we study this um, many different ways, whether it's net promoter, um, you know, we have several tools to understand what's really important. And three things really bubble up for our customers, reliability, speed, simplicity are the three big ones. And I'm going to add one more because it comes out, it's less technology centric, but super important, which is value. And so if you think about those three things, I think they're, they're easy to say, but they're hard to do. So like on the reliability front, everything in the home is now capable of being connected. As I mentioned before, the number of connected devices continue to expand. And so a key pain point I think for any operator, candidly, is interference due to device device growth and networks using the same bands. So it's critical that operator operators like AT and T embrace technologies like cloud based channel selection or AI ML to minimize congestion and maximize reliable connections in the home. So reliability is. is is at the top of the list for sure. Speed is at the top of the list. This is another one, easy to say, hard to do. And there are lots of things that go into speed, including the actual client or device. We focus on several levers here. One is if you think about the WAN side, so the network 
facing capabilities. We're putting a lot of energy into this space right now. We actually just launched this month what we're calling HyperGig. This was a national launch of multi-gig capable broadband. So two gig, five gig, symmetrical upload and download speeds. So much like a freeway, you know, when you've got more lanes of high speed capabilities, you can do things like, you know, working, training, learning, broadcasting, you name it with smoking fast speeds. So that's the the WAN side of the equation. On the LAN side of the equation, when we think about speed, you really have to have top shelf equipment in the home or in the business to enable the types of Wi-Fi connectivity that really you know accentuates the, the speeds that we can deliver. Um, the third one that I mentioned that I, I want to talk a little bit about, again, this isn't as technology heavy, but it's super important to our customers is value. And we also recently introduced what we call straightforward pricing for AT&T Fiber. And so for new customers, this means no equipment fees, no annual contracts, no data caps, no price increases after 12 months, just the fastest internet plus AT&T Active Armor, which I talked about before, and the next generation Wi-Fi equipment at no additional cost. So simplicity and value are super important. Speed is super important and reliability is super important. Uh, so I, I want to circle back to what you were talking about with um, the the devices needed to get these multi gig speeds. Um, you know, I think you had the the two gig and the five gig plans. Uh, can customers actually get two gig and five gig through their existing routers, uh, or do they need to buy special gateways? And if they do need to buy special gateways, does AT and T have any plans to offer subsidies for new routers? Yeah. So first and foremost, the current hardware. Um, and equipment is built to support multi-gig capabilities. So when I talk about two gig and five gig symmetrical speeds, the current capabilities and the current equipment is built to support that. And I, I, I mentioned before the simplicity of the current offer and the value that we're delivering, that's at no additional cost to the customer. So we've really tried to make it simple. And as we're deploying equipment for these customers, it's you know equipment that supports these these multi-gig speeds today. You you asked also, you know, what a customer can expect um, and when they're experiencing their their speed within their home. There are a couple of elements that you have to take into consideration here. So first of all, what kind of device are they connecting with? Also, how are they connecting? Is it a physical connection or is it a Wi-Fi connection? And as you know, depending on how they're connecting and what types of devices are connecting, you're going to see different types of speed. Um, the physical connected devices, so think like TVs or PCs, they're going to get 5 gig symmetrical if they've got the 5 gig service or 2 gig symmetrical if they've got the 2 gig service. If they're connecting over Wi-Fi, they're going to get speeds well over a gig. So that's what customers can expect. There are lots of variables that go go into it, but overall, you know, I think it's um, you know really fast, and it's actually really interesting 
to see what actually customers are are doing. And we've, we've now been in market for a little while and there's some interesting findings. Um, it's still early, by the way. I, I mentioned that we launched these multi-gig capabilities just this month, but there are a, a few interesting behavioral elements that I think are worth mo- uh, mentioning. First of all, connected devices in the homes of customers that have adopted this hypergig capability have increased by 20 to 30 percent. The other thing that's really interesting is bandwidth consumption has gone up, which you would expect. It's kind of like putting oxygen into an ecosystem. It gets consumed. But the amount of consumption on the uplink is up 3x. Bandwidth consumption on the uplink is up 3x, which is super interesting to me. And it just shows you the value of not just these speeds, but the fact that they're symmetrical. So interesting findings. It's still early, but um, that's what we're seeing so far. Wonderful. Um, So I want to turn back to something you mentioned earlier, and that was kind of um, congestion on the different bands and Wi-Fi. So... um, I know AT&T was part of a court case where you guys were kind of uh, arguing against the FCC opening the six gigahertz band for unlicensed use. Um, And I think that was due to potential interference concerns. So I just wanted to kind of ask you, what's AT&T's stance on Wi-Fi 6E, which uses the six gigahertz band? And do you have plans to kind of move forward with a Wi-Fi 6E router? Yeah, it's it's super interesting. So I, I, when I think about Wi-Fi 6E, I think it's the next logical step in the standards evolution. We see value in the enhanced speed capabilities that that next generation can enable. Um, I think the new spectrum um, can be a game changer, especially when consumer electronics adopt the 6E standard. Um, we haven't been public around our 6E plan, so I can't. Uh, I'm not going to break news on on how and when we plan to adopt. But I do think it's interesting. I think the benefits are are clear. Um, when you think about the fact that it nearly triples the available unlicensed spectrum for Wi-Fi, that's interesting. Um, Another thing that we will take into consideration as we think about 6E and that 6 gigahertz band is that the timing for us is is always going to be influenced by the timing of client adoption, because ultimately we want customers to be able to take advantage of these new technologies. And when I look at the the, the timelines uh, associated with client adoption, By 2022, we're expecting about 5% of consumer devices to be sold with 6E. And by 2023, that number goes up to maybe 10%. So the new devices are going to start to layer in this year that are 6E capable. And then by next year, you'll see, you know, maybe a doubling of new devices. And then you've got a base of devices that obviously are prior generations. So we're going to keep a very close eye on those adoption trends. The other thing I'll tell you about 6E that I think is interesting is that in addition to client devices, I think there's a real opportunity to potentially use this technology for backhaul in in the home um, as a wireless backhaul capability, given just the sheer amount of throughput that it can enable. So we're we're interested in 6E. We think it's a a logical next step, and we're working through the timing elements of how and when um, we might introduce it. 
I just want to follow up on what you said about backhaul. Can you kind of elaborate for our audience on what you mean there and why you think it's necessary? Yeah, so in a, in a mesh network, whether it's a, a business or um, a consumer's home, you've got typically you have multiple uh, Wi-Fi, whether we call them extenders or boosters, that really create that wall-to-wall network capability that I referenced earlier. Those um, extenders or boosters need to connect to the, the gateway router some way. Now, today, that can be either a physical connection, like an Ethernet connection, or it can be a Wi-Fi connection using the current bands that are available. With 6 gigahertz, you've got just a really large amount of capacity that will be available. And as I mentioned, when we were talking about client adoption, there won't be a lot of client um, client devices that, that are going to be tapping into that 6 gigahertz band initially. So that backhaul or that wireless connection between an extender and a gateway is going to be like a super highway that will be wide open, super high bandwidth, and I think can be used really effectively in those specific use cases. Okay. Um, I just also wanted to follow up on uh, your comment about uh, the 6G, the 6 the, the, the Wi-Fi 6E devices. Um, you know, you, you were talking about uh, getting to 10% in a couple of years. Uh, do you have any sense of whether uh, the supply chain issues that everybody's experiencing with chips and everything else might impact adoption? No, that's a great question. And, um, you know, I think the supply chain challenges, as, as the audience clearly understands, have been unprecedented. I, they, they are impacting everything from, you know, the chips that are in our gateways to the chips that are in um, client devices. And we, we talk a lot about the actual, um, you know, elements within these devices that aren't the chips that have also seen supply challenges. And so my expectation is that that the challenge is not going to be just tied to a gateway or an extender, but, you know, client devices as well. Um, and, you know, the, the end of the, the, the line on these challenges is a little bit difficult to predict. I know that we are doing a lot of work to ensure that we can meet the demands of our, our, our customers, but it's, it's doing things that we haven't had to do historically, like looking out 18 to 24 months, as opposed to, you know, a much, much um, smaller window. And I would expect that the manufacturers of client devices, whether it's smartphones or TVs or PCs, they're dealing with the same dynamics. And I, I think that it probably will have an impact on, on, you know, how those devices get impact or get introduced over the continuum of time. It's a little bit hard to know exactly how much, but I, I can't imagine that it would um, not impact that segment of the market, just as I've seen, um, you know, the challenges impact every other segment of, of the market. Wonderful. In our last uh, couple of minutes here, uh, do you have any thoughts on Wi-Fi 7? I want to look a little bit further out. Uh, what do you imagine it to be? Uh, how do you see it uh, moving forward? So, Diana, great question. And, you know, I'll, I'll give you the standard disclaimer uh, like I did on 6E. We haven't been public on our plans here. So I, I'm going to I'm going to speak just hypothetically. 
Um, first of all, it's super interesting as a technology leader to observe the accelerating pace of innovation in this space. And it's exciting. Like if you think about Wi-Fi 5 to Wi-Fi 6 to Wi-Fi 6E to Wi-Fi 7 and how quickly we're moving, it's really, really interesting. And I think it's um, it's great for the industry. So when I just take a step back, I think that I, you know, exciting to see that Wi-Fi 7 is coming, exciting to see that it's coming fairly quickly if you think about how these standards have been introduced over time. And, you know, we'll be looking very closely about how we introduce that um, and what the timing is for introducing it. It does introduce some really interesting new technologies. For example, uh, multi-link operation or MLO, I think is the acronym, allows for devices to simultaneously transmit and receive across bands and channels. So as a, a carrier and a, a you know somebody who's been around the mobility industry for a long time, it's similar to carrier aggregation, which will improve speed and capacity and latency. So there are new technologies in Wi-Fi 7 that I think are really exciting. I think the timing of client device adoption, again, will be something that we'll have to factor in, whether that's, you know, mid-2023 to 2024. And then I think, you know, certification will happen. And then you'll start to see operators starting to adopt, you know, subsequent to that. So, you know, bottom line, I'm excited to see the innovation. I'm excited to see all of the new connected devices like TVs, laptops, and everything else that's connected in homes and in the business that are requiring more speed, more bandwidth, and more security. And I feel like, you know, we're in the sweet spot. It's it's definitely an area that we're leading, and I'm excited to see how it's going to evolve over time. Excellent. Well, Josh, that's all the time we have for today. Thank you so much for joining us and for sharing all this information. Great. Thank you. Right. Well, I hope you enjoyed those interviews with Jeffrey Starks of the FCC and with Josh Goodell, Vice President, Broadband Technology Management at AT&T from our Wi-Fi Summit, which took place last February. Of course, if you want more content just like that and you don't want to wait for our next podcast, you can head over to fiercewireless.com where you'll have some more leading coverage and videos as well as a listing to our upcoming events there as mentioned in the introduction there this is going to be a weekly podcast we're very excited to bring it to you and we actually have a lot of great content planned as a mix of exclusive interviews as well as content from our past events over the next few weeks we'll be speaking to some of the key voices and executives in our industry and beyond companies such as ericsson Rakuten Symphony, Visible, Cox, Neos Networks, and a lot more. So hopefully you will join us for those conversations. Hit the subscribe button so that you get a notification every week as we bring you those conversations. And we'll actually start just next week with an interview with Angie Klein. She's the CEO of Visible, the MVNO running off of the Verizon network. And we'll be talking a little bit, not just about the ins and outs of their network, but about their marketing, their positioning, and who really their target customer is. So a lot to unpack there and certainly an exciting conversation to look forward to. And we, of course, look forward to having you there. From us here at Fierce Wireless and the Fierce Telecom Podcast, thanks for joining us and stay safe out there. See you next week.